we're going to be reading from there. Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. Sorry, kids, usually I say that first. Um, Let's look in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. We're going to read to the end as we look at what God has to say to us today. Paul writes and says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. To me. Let's ask the Lord to bless our hearing of his word and the application of it to our hearts and minds as we turn to the explanation of the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be here and we have the opportunity to hear your word. We are truly blessed. It is true that faith means that we are to Wait for the Lord. And that is a good encouragement to us to remind us that, as some have said, God is rarely early, but he is never late. And so we pray that you would give us patience and the ability to trust in the middle of difficult circumstances as we wait for you. Father, as we wait, we pray that you would help us to be careful to listen. Because while you may delay in acting, we may not see what it is that you are doing. You have been generous in your speech. You have been careful to speak to us clearly and openly and actively. And we have this word from you. And the amazing truth of this book is that when we open it and we read it, you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to us over and over and over. And so we can listen at any time. We pray that that we would not be those who grow familiar with the word and then treat it with contempt because we have access to you all the time. But we pray that when we hear it, we would take special care to devote ourselves to it. We pray that we would open 
the eyes of our heart to see your word and that we would open our spiritual ears that we might say yes as we hear your word and then we'd be careful to apply it to ourselves. And Father, I pray this morning that we would see the good in what Paul is saying about these brothers who he intended to send to the Philippians and who had been sent from them and the blessing that they are to us and to our faith. And we pray that they would encourage us and help us in our own journey. Lord, may we never forget that you are the foundation of your care for us. The scriptures say that while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. We thank you that you are the one who reaches to us and cares for us. And that means that because we did nothing to earn your affection, but you gave it to us, it means that you won't take it away. And so we pray that we would live in the good of that as we seek to be conformed to your will and to live your desire for us each and every day. Lord, we thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many things go into fulfilling God's plan for our life, for uh, being conformed to his image or growing into who God calls us to be. Uh, It's not enough just to have good intent, right? And it's not always enough to have uh, a good example. And it's not always enough to have some instructions. We need to combine all of these things together Uh, so that we are actually getting where we're intending to be. A number of years ago, um, there there was an event in the afternoon. Uh, This is right after we'd arrived in in Salisbury. And so I was talking to a friend and said, hey, you know, maybe prior to the event, we'll go together and uh, maybe we could grab lunch. And he said, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. And uh, so it was getting near on to the time we were supposed to meet for lunch. And um, I had, I had asked, hey, you know, how do I get to Cambridge? And it was, oh, it's just about 30, 20, 20, 30 minutes north of here. No? How far? West, Cambridge, right? But on the map, it's just up, right? It's north still. It's north-ish, right? Yeah. David in the back is nodding. I'm sticking with David. So... You know, he's like, are you almost here? And I'm like, I got to be almost there. Where are you? And I said, "Uh, Seaford. Because I went north. Yeah. Listen, I knew when I needed to leave. And I knew which direction, kind of, I needed to go. Here's the problem, right? Like, they're both north on the map, folks, okay? Yeah, yeah. And, and if you start off, you may have the right intent. You might get on the path with the right amount of time. You might have your gas tank filled. But unless all the factors are working together, you're not going to reach your goal, right? You know, being off by a couple of degrees might not mean that much when you start. But when it comes time to get to the destination, you may be far off. Paul has received news from Philippi. He's received a gift 
from Philippi. And he writes this letter as an expression of his thanks to the Philippians. He's saying, hey, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for for sending this to me. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. But what he's heard from Philippi, whether it's from a letter that they wrote to him that goes along with the gift, or whether it is... um, From this brother, Epaphroditus, what he's heard is that there's possible division in the church. And that they are struggling. And so Paul does what Paul does, right? Paul is the kind of guy who, when he has been beaten within an inch of his life by an angry crowd, right? Of of people who do not believe in the gospel as he's being taken away in chains and about to be examined. He says, hey... Uh, since everybody's gathered and they're watching, do you mind if I address the crowd for a moment? And instead of saying, hey, I'm completely innocent, none of you should have done this to me, he preaches the gospel. That's what Paul does. He takes every opportunity to share. And so he writes a thank you letter to them. This is a, a letter from a missionary saying, hey, Thanks for sending me some support. I am so thrilled that you're standing with me. And by the way, I've heard that there are some things that are wrong. So here is the gospel. Here's the good news. And he preaches it to them. And so what he's doing is he's truly thanking them, but also offering correction for this division that is growing in their midst. And he's going to be very careful not to really get into the, to the thick of it until chapter 4. Now, he didn't write the letter in four chapters, um, but he leaves the, the, the really uh, sinking his teeth into the problem until closer to the end. Pardon me, it's thirsty time. So um, we, what, we, what we see, uh, what we'll see as sources of division or possible problems is that there are false teachers that are, are, are possibly moving into the church and, and, and uh, redirecting them. Uh, we see this in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3, where Paul is, is saying to keep the focus on Christ and not on their works. That external uh, trouble that could come in and, and infect the church. And that has always been a problem. There has always been a, a, a difficulty since the founding of the church that, that there would be attacks from without or invasions. And this is the good news. We see this over and over. I think I've said this just a few weeks ago in, uh, in, in talking about the, uh, the letters to the seven churches. Anytime there is a problem of, uh, or of danger or persecution from without that comes against the church, Jesus' encouragement to them is stand firm and resist. Don't cave. And there's no danger of failure ever. What we find in chapter 4 as a problem is that there is a struggle within the church. There is a division within based on on people's pride of of place, their position, their authority, their their personal relationships. And that division is is causing a tear. And so Paul is urging people to, to work to make peace between these two people who are fighting Again, when we look at the letters to the seven churches, Jesus' admonition and reminder to them is that where there is struggle within, where there's relational failure, that is always what is critical. 
The church need not fear a king or a government or a nation or some pressure that comes against them from outside that will stop them because Jesus always cares for his church. It cannot be stopped. Right? This is what he says. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church cannot be crushed from the outside, but it can rot from within. And so Paul is saying here to them, you know, you need, you need to change direction. You need to change your goal. And so he encourages them to, to be unified in chapter 2. He calls them to follow the example of Christ, who was first among the church He is the the greatest servant of the church, not because he was the son of God in flesh, right? That that helps or enables his mission of saving the world, but he he is the greatest and most highly exalted in the church because he took on the form of a servant and he submitted himself to the will of God and he served even to the point of death. And it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. So Paul shows them the example of the Lord Jesus, and he demonstrates that the secret of joy pointing to Christ and the secret of unity is to have the mind of Christ, to to take on the role of a servant, to embrace this mission of, of caring for others, to embrace obedience to the will of God. And we saw that as Paul explains that in his own life and uses his own example. He talks about in verses 12 through 18, how he came among them and he showed them how to live and they were living that way. And he urges them to continue to live the way that he instructed them in his absence. We, we talked about working out our salvation with fear and trembling and how we're to continually be laying aside the pattern of the world, the way of, of that, that everyone else is living and to put on the, the mind of Christ and, and the way that Christ lives. And so Paul puts himself out there as an example. But he's going to give us two additional examples to follow here. And he's going to talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus and talk about why Imitating them, imitating their example or looking to them for leadership and guidance is going to get them to the destination, right? We talked about how obedience is one of the keys to joy last week. How the secret of living the Christian life is to say, I am empowered by God. I am indwelled by his spirit. I have all the things Ephesians says. I have Ephesians 1.3 says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. We've been given everything that we need to live the Christian life. What is the key then to transformation? It's saying yes to the Lord when he speaks and saying, yes, help me. Yes, empower me. And then we grow, not into perfection, because that's not ours, this side of heaven. But we grow in dependence and obedience on the Lord. Paul is urging the church 
in Philippi to focus on unity and joy by taking on the mind of Christ and obeying and cooperating with the way that God works in their lives to transform them. Uh, this This is difficult for people to get and to apply to the church, okay? It's, it's difficult. We want something simple and tangible. We don't like mystery. We don't like ambiguity, right? We want specifics. We want to know exactly what do we need to do in order to fulfill our end of the contract, right? We want, we want a, a, a list. Help, give me the instructions and the steps, right? I, I, many times... I will follow through when I get an email. You know, it'll, somebody will say, hey, if you just do this, we'll send you a free whatever. And I'm like, I know there's some catch that I can't live up to, but I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to give them a try. Right? And I respond and I look and I, I want to find out what do I need to buy? What do I need to? And there's always some weird catch in there, right? And then you're like, why do I ever open these emails? Anyway, maybe that's just me. <laughs> We want to know what the path or the way is. The reason it's ambiguous, folks, the reason, the reason that, that Paul lays things out in a way where he says, you're to lay aside the pattern of the world. We looked at that last week in verses 14 through 18, and you're to embrace the way that, that Christ would have you live. You're to lay aside crooked and twisted things and you're to shine like light is because our struggles and hang-ups and sins are different from each other right and we're to grow in unity with one another but that doesn't mean uniformity that doesn't mean that we all need to be clones of one another But yet, over and over, that's what groups of Christians who gather together do. They say, this is the way we're going to act with regard to this matter or that. You know, and we say, we say, these are the songs that we sing. This is the way that we worship. This is the way that we educate our children, right? Like, we choose one form of education. Or, these are the movies that we watch. Or, these are the games that we play. Or, these are the shows that we watch on TV, right? We, we, We lay it all out and we say, here's the list. Paul, Christ, calls us to be ourselves full of Christ. To be less flesh and more Christ, right? Less the pattern of the world and more his pattern of thinking. And that's not going to look exactly the same in each of our lives. Because God loves variety. He does. He loves difference. He created us different. God created us with a need for each other. And so he calls us to put on the mind of Christ and to be humble and to be obedient. He calls us to embrace this pattern of I hear God's word and I say yes and I walk in it I obey it but then he calls us to live in relationships with each other and to love one another and serve one another here's what I I find 
is, is amazing. And this may, this may sound, we talked about this in, in our adult Bible study this morning a bit. It may sound a little outrageous, okay, at first. I'm going to say it so it sounds a little outrageous, so that I know that you're listening. God created us in such a way that having a relationship with him is not enough to satisfy us. God created us in such a way that having a relationship with him is not enough to satisfy us. Now I'm going to drink something. It was thirsty time, yes. When you look at the scriptures, God creates the world in Genesis chapter 1 and he declares it good. It is good. His creation is good. When we review the creation in chapter 2, we take a, a slower look at things. We take a more expansive look at things, and we see God created this, and it was good. And then he created that, and that was also good. And then he created man, and man was alone. And this was not good. And man felt that being alone was not good. Think about this. Pristine Perfect world created by God, no sin. God creates the man and places him in the garden. And God is in relationship and fellowship with him. And it is not good enough. Because he needs relationship. That's the way we were created. We were created to be in relationship with others. We are created for each other and we're created to love one another and care for one another i would i would say this when we look at the scriptures we believe that that god has called us into a relationship with him and he has expressed his love toward us and he's told us that he loves us and cares for us and he's given us gifts to use right He has given us spiritual gifts. And that's true of you. If you're in Christ, if you've put your faith and trust in him, then God has entrusted you with a spiritual gift. Maybe many. There are some people out there who've got so many spiritual talents and abilities that they're just, you know, they invoke or inspire jealousy in you, right? You're like, how is that person so talented or blessed? But God doesn't give us these things so that we can hold them to ourselves. He gives them to us so that we can use them in the service of others. When you think about what you're good at, when you think about what you are talented at, what what you do and other people say, you do that well, there's there's a joy in doing it and being noticed, isn't there? Isn't there a joy in, 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 in using your talents and other people watching you use them or observing you use them and saying you're really good at that? But there's, there's a step beyond that, isn't there? The step beyond is when you use your talents and skills, when you use what God has given you and you serve someone else and they say, Thank you. You blessed me. You encouraged me. You helped me. Doesn't that feel just incredibly different? When, when you are able to give to someone and 
to allow them to receive what you have been given. That feels incredibly different. We're tapping into, we're understanding the purpose for which we've been created. We have been created for one another. We need one another. We need to serve and care for one another. This is theology that is old in the scriptures. It has been with us since the beginning. We see in the book of Genesis, right? We just reviewed the fact that that alone is not good. We look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where God speaks to Abraham and calls him and says, I'm going to build a nation and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to send Messiah through you. He says this, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Right? It's not enough for Abraham to just receive good things from the Lord. He is going to find fulfillment and he's going to find his, uh, his that part of his plan God's plan for him is that he would bless others. When you look at uh, the the book of Psalms, the the psalmist uh, sings out in Psalm 67 that, that God has blessed Israel and he calls for additional blessings. He says, feed us, you know, send rain on the earth, govern the nations, lead and guide. But when he appeals to the Lord for blessings, the psalmist says this, Bless us that your name may be known throughout the world, that your way will be known throughout the earth. Give us blessings that we might bless others with the knowledge of you. It is not enough to receive blessing. We find fulfillment and joy when we bless others. And so what does is, what is Paul set the Philippians up for here. He has, he has put the mind of Christ out there. He has put the way of growth. And then he says, I'm going to send you or point out to you two examples, people who are living it. In verses 19 through 24, he talks about Timothy. Paul can't come, right? He's chained to a Roman soldier. We've talked about that. You know, he's, he's in prison. He can't make it. It's going to be a while. Can't come right now. Sorry. Right. Uh, But he says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon because I want to be cheered by news of you. Paul wants to receive a word back that they've received his message and that they have fixed or adjusted or attempting to deal with with some of their problems. But he's going to send Timothy because he's concerned for them. There's that relationship. They've blessed Paul, and he desires to bless them and to help them with what they're struggling with. Why is he sending Timothy? Why is is Timothy the guy to send to the Philippians who are struggling? There are four good reasons why he sends Timothy. The first one is that he's unique. He's the guy for the job because he's unique. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is a people guy. Timothy is a, a people guy who doesn't go to people thinking, hey, what can I get out of this? He goes to the people and he says, what is it that you need? And he cares for them deeply. He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. I have no one 
like him. Uh, in January, when I was in um, when I was in Ecuador, I was I was teaching on leadership, and I was talking about uh, qualities to select in, in people within the church who who you want to see lead. You know, you need more leaders. And I said many times, what churches do is they say. Uh, our test for whether or not you can volunteer or be a leader is they say, uh, are you present? And do you have a pulse? <laughs> right? We can fit you in on the schedule and you can do things. One, I don't think that honors the nature of, of volunteering, right? Because, uh, you know, who wants to be just somebody who can fill a slot, right? You want to, to do something and engage in something that's meaningful and has purpose, what I, what I said is many times this ends in, in sadness and despair for churches when they just stick any old leader into any old spot. You know, you get any old results. And what you ought to do is you ought to say, what qualities does a person need in order to excel in this role? We were talking about leaders that could advance the mission of the church who, who, would, who would allow the, the good news about Jesus Christ to go forward And I was trying to think of an example. I'm in Ecuador, a room full of pastors. My friend Kevin had invited me, and I suddenly thought, like, of all the people that I have been connected through throughout the years of my ministry, who who has heard the word? Who has heard the call to humble themselves and serve others and to obey Christ and to say, what would you do with me? And they follow that path to some strange destination where they're, they're doing what the Lord calls them to. And I thought, he's in the room here. Kevin, the missionary, by the way, who we, we helped get the new vehicle because he's driving all over, uh, you know, this, the shifting lands of Ecuador where the... Uh, the roads are difficult and the altitude's constantly changing. And there was this moment of, I never, this is what I said to the guys, like when I first met this guy, I never thought that the Lord would have done this with him. I just didn't think. It's, it's a, a pleasant surprise to see what the Lord has done. And it's amazing to think I had a part in that. I don't take credit for it. It's the Lord's work. But he has asking questions and still asks questions. And I still guide. And here he is blessing all these people. And he genuinely cares for these pastors who have no means of obtaining an education beyond what they already know. They're asking questions. They have needs. And he is there for them. And he cares for them. He's unique. Paul says, I've got nobody like this guy. I'm going to send him to you, and he's going to be genuinely concerned for you. And then he talks about the others who are, who, who are circling around. You'll remember that Paul said that there were those who were suddenly emboldened by the fact that he was in prison. This is uh, chapter, chapter 1, where uh, Paul is in prison. Suddenly people are everywhere preaching Jesus, and some of them are doing it just to make Paul crazy. Right, They're not really interested in, in preaching for uh, the purpose of advancing the mission. They're just doing it because maybe Paul wouldn't let them, because they were immature. 
some other reasons. But he says here, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul was fine in chapter 1 with them preaching because people were hearing the gospel. They were hearing the good news. That though they had sinned against God and were deserving of wrath and separation from him for all eternity, God had sent Christ to take their sins upon himself. And if they would confess their sins and put their faith in Christ, they could be as righteous, they would receive the righteousness of Jesus and be as counted as righteous in God's sight. And so they're out there preaching this word. Paul's like, I don't care as long as they're talking about Christ. Now, do you take that same person and send them into a sensitive situation where there's tremendous need? No, you don't. You send somebody like Timothy who is genuinely following the interests of Christ, living out his mind and his will and his way. So he says, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So I hope to send him soon to see, as soon as I I see how things are with me, I trust that I'm going to be able to send him to you and he's going to encourage you and then I'm going to come along also. Why send Timothy? He's unique. He's a people person and cares for them personally. He has proven worth, a track record of faithfulness. And he's able because of that faithfulness to serve as Paul's substitute. Here's, here's, here's what I think is a genuinely a, a, a problem that, that we face as, as Americans, but it's, it's a problem that's old. We, we think that just because we know something, we're ready for the big time. Do you know what I mean? We think like, hey, I've been in church ministry for 10 years. Why doesn't my church have a thousand people in it? Or we think like, I'm talented in my job. Why aren't I rich? You know, or why, why haven't all things fallen together for me? I'm willing to serve the Lord. Why aren't I on the mission field, right? I'm willing to do this. Why isn't my church deploying me? Why aren't they using me? Many times, we're just not ready. We've not had the depth of experience in order to be put out there yet. We've not put down a, 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 a track record of faithfulness, right? We just, we, we suddenly, we say, I'm ready, Lord, use me. And we've not gone through the basic steps of development. Paul had traveled with Timothy. Timothy had, had probably made mistakes. He'd had successes and failures, but he'd proven his worth over the years. He'd, he'd demonstrated his faithfulness. Many times, we just need to be faithful over a long period of time. Hear me, not perfect, not flawless, but we just need to show that we can get the job done so that when the need arises and, and we ask the question as a church, who can we send? Who can help? We, we know who that person is because they've, they've demonstrated it with their faithfulness. David was able to trust in the Lord and when he went out on the battlefield to fight Goliath because he had seen God's faithfulness in action. 
He had had experiences where he tested God's faithfulness to him, right? Um, Saul tries to arm David with the latest in military technology, right? Here's a sword. Here's a helmet. Here's a breastplate and a shield. Go and kill. And David tests these things out and says, no way, I'm not doing this. I'm going to rely on the faithful weapons that I've used, right? I got my stick and I got my sling. This is... This is what I've always fought with. And Saul says, you're going to get slaughtered, right? You are, you don't even know war. And he's known war since his youth. And what does David say? He says, the Lord was with me when I fought the bear and when I fought the lion. And he's going to be with me when I go out there and fight the giant. There was a pattern of faithfulness. He didn't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to go face a giant, right? The Lord brought him that opportunity. He had depended and walked in obedience prior. Paul had a desire to go and to be with them and to help them grow and to deal with this trouble that was in their midst. And he couldn't go and so he sent the next best thing. He sent his substitute to them, someone who was focused on the gospel. Many times, I believe that we struggle as Christians today. We, we face an enormous battle to grow because we're learning and hearing all these things. We're hearing, we're hearing the word, Right, and, and we're looking out at the world and we're seeing the problems, we're seeing decay and we're seeing struggle and difficulty out in society and we see trouble in families and we see trouble in churches and we grab the right information, right? We've got truth and yet we can't seem to change the course of things, right? We say, why is it like this? Part of the reason why it's like this is because we don't have deep relationships. We've not spent the time to build deep relationships. I think that um, an incredibly sad and distressing thing has happened in the 12 years that I've been in this town. And I don't just mean here in this town, I mean everywhere. I've told people before, I don't think I sent a single text message before I moved here, right? I had one of those Nokia candy bar phones. Like, if you wanted to text, you had to, like, select every letter. And some letters you had to be, like, you know, hit the same number four times. Like, forget that. Ain't nobody got time for texting like that, right? Here's what happened. They made it easy to text, right? I was on Facebook before that we had that massive phase where everybody got on Facebook. But suddenly everybody's on Facebook. We're all messaging one another. We're all socially connected, right? We've all got our name and our picture that we've selected. And then the little green light is next to it, whether we're online, you know, it's red. If we're off, it's, we can be invisible and no one can see us, right? We're all socially connected. You know what's happened? We've, we've, we have, we have lost our relational closeness as a culture. You know that uh, studies have shown that people now will respond to invitations to events and they'll say, yes, I'm interested, I'm coming. 
that they feel no real obligation to actually go. Because all they're doing is they're giving you an electronic pat on the back and saying, yes, I'm, you're my friend and I'm interested. You know, I'll give you a thumbs up. But on the day of the event, when it comes, people decide whether or not they're going to show up or not. Calendaring is like vanished. I never had the discipline, but it's, it's, it's vanished in, in greater measure. What happened is we have, we have invented tools to create connectedness and togetherness, and we find ourselves drowning in a sea of information and connection, and yet we are still alone. In the Spanish versions of, of the scriptures, um, well, and in the Greek as well, uh, the word flesh means exactly what it means. It means flesh, meat, right? Uh, think about it, incarnation, right? When you order something con- carne, you order it with beef, right? Right? There's, there's a physicalness that's necessary for relationship. Jesus demonstrated this to us. When he comes down to earth, he doesn't come down as this glorious, 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 I like shoved a bunch of words together, glorious, radiant, celestial, disembodied being who says, live this way. No, he takes on flesh and he comes. And when John describes what it was like to know the Lord, he says, we saw him and we talked to him and we touched him. We were in relationship. Why do they need Timothy? Why did Paul send him? Because we need each other. And we need each other. We need to give and to receive that which the Lord has placed in us because that's the way he designed us. Sadly, they needed Timothy because Paul had no one else like him. Think about what Paul says to the Romans, right? Probably the Romans, they were sharp, right? Look at the letter they got, this amazing explanation of, of the gospel. There are people who are like, I'm all about the book of Romans. It's so deep. I love it. I like Ephesians a lot more. It's all, it's all screw. Anyway, but look at what Paul says to the Romans. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why didn't Paul send the Romans? He was busy writing them a letter, instructing them what the gospel was, saying, hey, you're all equal in the eyes of God. Jews aren't better than Greeks, and Greeks aren't better than Jews. Get along, people. He had to write them these deep truths of the gospel because though they had believed in Christ and received salvation, they weren't living it. They weren't ready to be used. Paul's like, I'm out there preaching the gospel, sharing the good news, and I got one guy I can send to you. Actually, he had two. Epaphroditus was sick. That's what he says. I thought it was necessary to send you Epaphroditus, right? I, I, I keep thinking, what can I do to, to help you? And I'm just going to send your guy back to you. He came and he brought the gift. I'll send him back. But he's ill. Why is Epaphroditus worth sending? I've got to move quickly. We may come back to him. 
Paul describes him as my brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier. Paul saw in Epaphroditus a balanced believer who, who had everything in check. He had it in, in, in proper balance. He calls him his brother. He's focused on this idea. Paul talks about how we have fellowship with one another in the gospel. Epaphroditus is a brother. Second, he's a fellow worker. He's focused on the furtherance of the gospel. That was Paul's mission, was sharing. But he also calls him a fellow soldier, which means that he embraces the truth and he walks in the the faith of the gospel. Like he truly obeys and he's living it. And he's got all these things in check. Fellowship, furtherance, and and faith. Those three are from Warren Wearsby, by the way. He does so much better with alliteration and stuff than I do. I said, I'll steal it and I'll give him credit and then it won't be stealing. So many of us, suffer from imbalance. We focus on fellowship and on relationships and and we forget furthering. Although I don't think that's necessarily the problem so much in America. Some people are focused on, on, on furthering and advancing the church and they say, let everybody in, let's try to get as many people as possible, let's lower the standards, let's preach a message that's palatable or that will pack them in and they take out the truth. What happens is they say, let's bring people in so we can show them how much like them we are and how good Jesus is. And what happens 20 years later is the church is just like them and Jesus has vanished from the message. Or they focus on faith and on truth and on knowledge without fellowship and so things get out of joint. Epaphroditus kept these things in balance. Paul looked at him and said, this is a man who's focused. He is my brother, supporting and encouraging. He, he's focused on advancing the gospel. He's a worker. He's also a soldier, though. He, he believes the truth and he embraces it. This guy's got it together. But beyond that, he was burdened. He was burdened for lost people. He was a worker. He shared. He was burdened for Paul. He was the one who, when the Philippians said, hey, we got a gift to send and maybe a letter, right? He said, I'll take it. I'll take the journey. And these journeys weren't like, hey, just, you know, 30 minutes north to Cambridge, you know, they were, they were dangerous. Paul, this guy got sick on his way there, and Paul was anxious and nervous, and, but he had a burden there. And then he was there, he was burdened for the church. He says that, 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 um, that he was eager and he's longing for them all. He hears what's going on, he hears the difficulty, he's distressed, that they're upset that he's sick, and now they're experiencing this division. He cares for them. And here, I think, is the greatest attribute of him and we'll end on this is that instead of just feeling bad about things instead of just feeling burdened instead of instead of just seeing and knowing he translated what he knew and felt and saw into action what did he do he responded by being a blessing he acted to bless others he was a blessing to paul He was a blessing to the Philippians. Paul points out this guy deserves honor. 
He's an example. You've got people in your midst who are dividing and fighting and, 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 and they're just, they're, they're not living it. Don't imitate them. Imitate him. Honor him, he says. Receive him in the Lord with joy. And he's a blessing to us. Because as we read the way that he lives and we feel conviction about things that, that perhaps we're, we're not living out or we feel uh, affirmation as we say, you know what, I do that. There are those Sundays, I hope you have them, where you know, they, they, people say, you know, like, ooh, they'll, they'll come up to me and they'll say, you shot at me this morning. There are some Sundays or days when I listen to messages or I go to conferences where I'm like, man, I dodged every bullet. Um, you know? Maybe you're feeling some affirmation. You're like, I'm doing this stuff. To which I would say, praise the Lord. Paul's encouragement from another, uh, another book would be, excel still more. Keep growing. Keep going. We are blessed abundantly. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. We have been given everything that we need. We've been given the righteousness of Christ. We've been given spiritual gifts and a a mission from the Lord. He asks us to to walk with him and to to fulfill the Great Commission, to reach others, to love him and to love others. We've been given all the tools that we need to carry out our mission. What we need to, to do is to say, I understand that I have been blessed. I'm going to take the burden upon myself, and I'm going to go be a blessing. Not to earn God's favor, because we've got it, but because of God's favor. Because he has blessed us, we seek to bless others. And so let's make Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ our models as we seek to grow into the image Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I pray that that we would see ourselves as blessed, Lord, because we are, and we are blessed beyond what many others have. We're blessed with tremendous gifts. We've been blessed with tremendous opportunity. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't feel a, a, a guilt of of conviction that doesn't result in action, but that we would say thank you for calling us to be part of what you're doing, Lord. And then I pray that we would commit to go and do it by your grace, for your glory and our joy. Thank you for blessing us. May we be a blessing to others and find our fulfillment and joy there. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.